0: maple grove minnesota and sixfootmama.com this is still growing with jennifer ebling still growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Today's show is all about Echinacea. It's my all-time favorite American native perennial. In fact, one of my first recommendations to new gardeners who are looking for ornamental perennials is Echinacea, because just like my grandmother Bernadette, Echinacea is a daughter of the prairie, absolutely beautiful and tough as nails. And you're going to be absolutely crazy about her. In fact, many gardeners appreciate Echinacea even more nowadays because it's a powerhouse pollinator plant for bees and butterflies. It's super easy to grow. It can handle drought And it's cold hardy. In addition to its value as an herbal remedy, echinacea is often considered to be the quintessential summer flower. With that prominent cone right at the heart of the flower, which is the impetus for the common name coneflower, echinacea blooms from June through the end of summer. So why should you be interested in growing echinacea? Well, the fascinating story of the breeding of Echinacea is being written right now in our lifetime. And since 2004, we've been witnessing countless new colors, forms, habits, and fragrances. It's an exciting time to grow Echinacea and fall in love with new selections, the wonderful peaches, the new oranges, the rare and chameleon-like. Indeed, some have in almost otherworldly or susical qualities. Every year brings more captivating Echinacea introductions to the marketplace and into gardens around the world. Today's deep dive into Echinacea is my way of enticing you to give a deeper consideration to the richness that Echinacea can bring to your garden, especially this time of year. If you're looking for dazzling beauty and waves of exciting color to escort your garden from summer into Fall, Echinacea is the clear winner. Echinacea evolution, that's the topic of today's show. And it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. But first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week, especially if you've just found the show. I want to give you a special welcome and thank you for being here. In fact, I always say that I hope you're listening to a bunch of gardening podcasts, like the Organic Gardener podcast. I was just on an episode with Jackie Beyer and we had a super fun time chatting this past Wednesday. And you can listen to my raw, uncut conversation with Jackie just by heading over to her podcast on iTunes or listen on your favorite player. It's called the Organic Gardener Podcast. It's such a great way to grow and learn as a gardener, just listening to gardening podcasts. Anyway, I'm truly, sincerely honored that you're spending some time here listening to the Still Growing Podcast. So thank you for doing that. Also, I have something new to share with you. I shared it last week as well. I'm launching a number of three-month mastermind opportunities that'll be starting up in September. One is for communicators, for bloggers, podcasters, writers, or content communicators. And the other is for industry professionals. This would be landscape designers, greenhouse growers, and nursery owner operators who are looking to grow their business. So if you're interested in that opportunity, just head over to sixfootmama.com. That's my website. It's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A dot com backslash work with me or just click on that menu item for more information. Masterminds are an incredible way to maximize your business and personal growth. They're game changers. So if you're interested in being part of a professionally facilitated mastermind with me at the helm, I would love to mastermind with you. And I hope you're in one of my groups. I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for the show. It's a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show. And these folks are made up of gardeners of all different skill levels and locations. And you can find it on Facebook by typing in the name of our group into the search box Just search for the Still Growing Podcast group and the listener community will show up at the top of the search results on Facebook. Now, there are a number of benefits that you can enjoy by joining the group. First, you'll have access to all of the great garden articles that I curate for you and they'll just show up in your Facebook newsfeed. In fact, one of the ways that you can make what you see on Facebook more customized to your interests is to join groups on Facebook that focus on topics you're interested in. So if you'd like to see more helpful posts about gardening, then by all means, join the listener community for the show. Second, the Facebook group is the only place I go to pick lucky listeners for any show giveaways. Third, you'll get a chance to interact with the great guests that have been on the show, So we just wrapped up that three part series on the garden bloggers fling and all of the garden bloggers who appeared in that series are in the group, which is fantastic. It's so great to see them in there. And then finally, the content that I share with the listener community is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you. Everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, it's free and easy to join. Well, let's take a second and welcome new members who joined our community recently Nan Quinn, Shana Sims, Jackie Byer, Aiden Nick and Archenig, Laura Stearns, Grant Weber, Terry Cleaver Eaton, Amy Monteith, Ricky Furman, Lori Burgess Vander Ark, Phil Coster, Michael Cotta, Jeremy Rector, Spencer Hoadley, Brian Jones, Tony Pollock, Deb Harkness, Ann Helton, Deborah Abeta, and Chelsea Villaverde Allen. Welcome you guys. There were a number of great posts from listeners this week in the Facebook group. Listeners shared pictures of their beautiful gardens and included videos of them as well. Julie Lang shared a fantastic picture of her garden. And here's what she wrote. My dear husband finally finished building my dry stack stone wall. Every spring, the garden would wash out with heavy rains, no more. For over 15 years, we've been sitting on the stash of huge cut stones from an old barn foundation, Over these years, the stone pile served as shelter to neighborhood stray kitties who had given birth to oodles of kittens, and I'm proud to say we fixed and adopted out every last one of them. I think there might be enough stones left in the pile for one more wall or a batch of kittens. Anyway, these stone walls look fantastic, and no wonder if it's reclaimed stone from an old barn they looked great. And then Julie even included the most adorable little picture of these kittens that are standing on top of the stones. It's just too cute. Anyway, listeners loved this post. I told Julie, I said, on a scale of one to 10, I give this a 15. Go out tonight and celebrate. It's so fantastic to see that dry stack stone wall project finished and it looks just amazing. Congratulations, Julie. Peter Langham shared an amazing picture of his spaghetti squash still ripening on the trellis in Zone 7B and they looked very impressive. And I love that when I see gardeners using trellises in such an excellent way. Peter said, He puts his trellis up just for the summer season. He's got his yard divided into various garden plots, and then he moves the trellis every year to its next location. It's kind of funny, said, because you never know what's going to happen. Listener John Brian Silverio shared a gorgeous video of his garden. He said, by the way, I'm just sharing part of our garden. We moved about two years ago in a bank-owned house that was filled with weeds. It was a struggle cleaning it up. And this was the first year we actually got it under control and being transformed into what we can call home. We have converted a part of the backyard to a vegetable garden, and it is now expanded. This year, I've had a few pollinator seeds mixed into the garden, and I didn't realize how big it would become. It was beautiful. A happy accident. Luckily, it did not interfere with the vegetables and we have birds, butterflies, and other beneficial insects in our yard. If you build it, they will come, right? I'll be expanding the garden every year and take over most of the lawn. John, I loved the video of your garden. And I thought what you wrote is such a great reminder to gardeners to go ahead and experiment. And one of the things that John did here that I thought was so genius is he experimented with some pollinator seed mixes just to see if they would grow and how they would interact in his edible garden and what john found out is that you can have ornamentals and edibles growing perfectly fine side by side in the garden so don't be afraid of doing that in fact for some very current information on how you can grow edibles In with your ornamentals, take a listen to my episode with Brie Arthur. Brie wrote the book The Foodscape Revolution, which is new out this past year. And I talked to Brie all about her book and her fantastic ideas for growing edibles in amongst your ornamentals back in episode 569. So give that a listen. Listener Sue Luftig shared a picture of her very first Joe Pieweed, and it looks like it's a smaller variety to me sue said the tag said baby joe sue was tickled she got this plant on sale and she said i'm going back tomorrow to get its big brother i loved this picture of her joe pieweed and i'm calling him baby joey so we'll be checking in with her to see how her baby Joey's doing Listener Amy Steinhauser shared a picture of her tomatoes, and this was the most awesome picture. I know Amy, and Amy's standing in front of her tomatoes, and she says, this is insane. My tomatoes are taller than me and still adding blossoms. And then for proof just how tall they are, she wrote, the silver thing behind me is a five-foot stepladder I use for support." And you can just see the red top of this ladder. It's buried in the foliage. These tomato plants have to be almost six feet tall. So Amy's having tremendous fun with her tomatoes this year. Listener Alan Staley shared a few pics of some blooms that were bringing joy to his little community garden plot and his heart, and I loved these pictures. He had some beautiful sunflower, lots of beautiful blooms on his ornamentals. Alan wrote he would bought a variety pack of flowers from Seed Savers Exchange, and even though he couldn't get a picture that showcased all of their 10-foot splendor, in his zone 9B garden, we did get a little taste of the gorgeous blooms that are growing in his garden. Listener Peter Langham had a wonderful picture of a spider in his zone 7B garden. This was really a great shot. It's a bigger spider with yellow and black markings. And as listener Patricia Chandler Newport chimed in, she said, That's a common garden spider. They eat the bad guys. But Excellent picture, Peter. Listener Will Johnson shared a picture of his backdoor tropical garden in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I loved this garden because tucked in amongst all of these wonderful flowers is a bubbling fountain. And my eyes are always drawn to fountains. And I commented on that when I was looking at his picture and Will said, I have four fountains on my property. I picked this one up for $200. It belonged to a cigar family in Tampa. And then I wrote him back and said, me too. I love fountains. It's such a thrill to find a great one that someone has given up on and then get it working again. And Will replied, he was amazed. It's solid concrete with no cracks, came with a liner and a pump, and it's seven feet tall. And then he had a great suggestion. Maybe we could post photos of the best garden deals or finds. So if you have something that you're excited about that you found on a shopping expedition or an estate sale or something on Craigslist and you're particularly proud of it, go ahead and share it in the group. I'd love to see that. Great idea, Will. Then here was another one of my favorite posts of the week. This one was by Jan Boujon. She wrote, this is my memorial garden, Betty's Bench, so named for a dear friend, former colleague, and fellow book club member who passed away June 6th. Betty was a beloved teacher who loved nature. Every year she enthusiastically took kids on an outdoor education trip and taught students a wonderful unit on trees. Book members came over to dedicate this bench on June 14th by donating a plant to place around the bench in her memory. Isn't that a great idea? Her husband and oldest son were able to join us. The bench sits under my lilac trees, along with a small plaque that reads, Betty's Bench, May 11th, her birthday. Listeners in the community loved this wonderfully touching idea that Jan had Heidi Bertels commented, what a lovely way to honor a friend. Tanya Peel wrote, what a beautiful tribute to someone who touched your life in a meaningful way. Susie Schuma remarked that it was such a lovely spot to sit and remember your dear friend. And Jan's picture of this bench and this memorial was really just so darling. I wrote, Jan, this is a lovely way to honor Betty, and I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend. And the lilacs are a perfect spring memorial. Very touching. If you've created a wonderful memorial garden as a tribute to someone that you love, I'd love to hear about it. All right, just a few other posts to comment on here. Listener Peter Langham also shared gorgeous pictures of his butternut squash harvest in Zone 7B. I'd say he had a very good harvest this year. Listener Michelle George shared pictures of the cardinal birds that are frequenting her yard, and they decided to make a nest in her honeysuckle. She shared pictures of this, and I think it's so fantastic that she actually found the nest because that can be difficult to find when you're trying to find a cardinal nest. They generally do a very good job of camouflaging their nest. So Michelle's very lucky to have found this. But she also wrote that the downside is they get a little anxious whenever she's out by her flower garden. Which I'm sure they do. Listener and past guest Jen McGinnis shared pictures of these little baby caterpillars that she's rescuing. And she wrote, my husband wants me to stop bringing caterpillars inside the house to raise, but I just can't stop myself. And then she shared pictures of some of her more recent finds. She's discovered black swallowtail caterpillars and monarch babies. In fact, listener Sue Luftig shared a photo of a black swallowtail on her echinacea. And listener Kathleen Brown Bonifonte shared a video of bees pollinating her ornamentals. And she wrote, the rewards that are learned from gardening are vast, such as the wonder of nature. That was a great video and those bees looked amazing. Danny Perkins shared a fun slow motion video of a monarch in his garden. That was a cool idea. So if you have your iPhone out, set it to slow motion and take a video of the butterflies that way. That's kind of a fun way to watch them fly and flit around. Listener Tanya Peel, who was just featured as a guest on one of my Garden Blogger Fling episodes, shared her green Envy zinnias that are blooming in her garden. They looked fantastic. And then fellow garden blogger Kathy Jens replied, It's one of my favorites, too. And then Jennifer Connell wrote, She thought she'd gotten a lime queen, but hers is mostly pink. But it's got that little green center, though, that she really likes. And I thought those were pretty as well. And then finally, Jen McGinnis shared how tall her Becky Shasta daisies are. Jen's 5'4", and those daisies were not far behind That was a super cool picture. Listener Nias Enak wrote in to see what kind of plant she had blooming in her garden. And Patricia Chandler Newport correctly identified it's a Rose of Sharon. Turns out her next door neighbor planted it. And it was actually a sweet gesture. She had planted a cherry tree, but it died. And she came home one day and found that the Rose of Sharon was planted in its place. Isn't that a sweet gesture? There were a couple of listener pest and problems questions that were in the group this week. Amber Gooden wrote, Oh boy, I figured out what's living in and eating my basil and Swiss chard. Earwigs help. How do I get rid of these icky things? Patricia Chandler Newport wrote, Do you by chance have wood chips or mulch near your garden beds? Earwigs love that. Listeners Naomi Go and Jessica Fell both wrote in that the only thing that's worked for them is diatomaceous earth or DE And then listener Ann Barclow wrote, I also like to research what might be causing them and eliminate favorable earwig conditions. Overall, they're beneficial except for loving seedlings. I also have a baseball cap with bright LED lights and I go out at night to make sure there isn't something else munching. That's a great idea. And of course, her kids love to join her on that mission. I can just see them going out with those little caps with those LED lights on with their mom too. So that's a fun memory for them. And then listener Carolyn Clamp wrote in to say, I'm new to growing tomatoes and could use some help. One of my plants, farther from the main three, had these two tomatoes. Is it a pest of some type? And Patricia Chandler Newport correctly said, This is called catfacing. It's caused by fluctuating temperatures. When temps are cool and damp, like in the 50s at night, this happens. And the flower is pollinated. The petals stick to the developing fruit causing it to grow in a distorted way. It's most common with the larger heirlooms. There's nothing wrong with the tomato and it's completely edible. Just embrace the strange nature of heirloom tomatoes. And she had a great reminder. She said, remember, fruits and veggies you grow will rarely look as perfect as grocery store produce because they throw away all of the weird looking but still edible food. So much waste. And then she wrote, Welcome to tomato growing. And I actually thought that point at the end was even better than answering the question that was originally posed. It's a great comment and one any edible grower knows, and that is we are going to love the produce that we make in our own backyard, even if it's got a blemish on it or it's imperfect. And We're going to feel that pride and ownership because we grew it. And I think you become so much less critical of your fresh vegetables and fruits after you've grown it yourself. And then listener Amy Steinhauser shared pictures of her bait bags that were filled with Japanese beetles. And she wrote, holy Japanese beetles, Batman. Now, if you've never used the bait bags before, when you get a bag full of Japanese beetles, it can be a little freaky to see that bag filled with Japanese beetles. Now, these have a little bit of controversy to them because if you put one of these bait bags on your property, you are basically beckoning Japanese beetles to your property. And there's been some research to say that you actually draw more beetles to your property than if you didn't have the bait bags. This is why they recommend putting the bait bags as far far away to the edge of your property as possible. But sometimes like in small suburban yards, that's not always possible for you. It's just one of the many things that you can try to address the Japanese beetle issue on your property, and Amy has a great attitude about it. She wrote, if nothing else, it's that many beetles that aren't out there somewhere eating somebody's garden and making more baby beetles. That's a great point too, Amy, and I also think there's tremendous satisfaction in seeing all of them like that in a bait bag. In the listener love category this week, Phyllis Marie joined our group, The Still growing podcast group. And she wrote, thank you for letting me join. I don't have much space where I'm at now. So I only have two tomato plants and a couple of house plants. And I wrote back, hey, a gardener is a gardener, no matter how small or big their garden is. So welcome, Phyllis Marie. So there were lots of great posts in the listener community this week. And I just love the listener community for the show. I love being able to interact with you and see posts from folks who share our passion for gardening and have a curiosity to learn more. So come hang out with us. Don't be shy. If you want to join the still growing listener community, it's so easy to be part of our group. The next time you're on Facebook, just type in still growing podcast group into the search bar and request to join. It's free. And as soon as I see your request come in, I'll admit you into the group. I look forward to meeting you in the still growing podcast group. If you need to get a hold of me with your comments or suggestions for the show, you can always contact the Still Growing Podcast at 865-333-GROW. That's 865-333-4769. I'd love to hear your voices. And I'd also love to see if you can help me out with answering a listener question. Ann Barklow wrote in that she is ordering seeds for next year, and she's looking for the best tall cutting zinnias for zone 7B that also might be mildew resistant. So if you have any suggestions for Ann, feel free to call in and leave a message. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. And it's made up of a dozen different segments from updates on past guests to articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with. And that's something I call the Dream Guest Segment. I also cover news and information on special topic areas like sustainability and science. And then the other segment are really designed to honor the commitment of the show to helping you and your garden grow. And they are the how-to DIY segment, the continuing ed segment, the plant spotlight, shopping, recipes, inspiration, and quotables. Now, what's nice about this for you is that you can stay up to date on the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share it all with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. So if you hear something and want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head over to the group and request to join. First up in the guest update segment, past guest Lori Neverman. Of episode 541, Lori Neverman is a blogger over at Common Sense Homesteading. Anyway, she shared a post of Queen Anne's Lace Jelly with Currants, and she wrote, You Won't Believe the Flavor. And here's what she wrote. Queen Anne's lace jelly is delicate and floral with a hint of peach flavor. The bright acidity of the currants is a perfect complement. And then she shared the images of this jelly, which was absolutely beautiful. She said the tricky part is getting the berries suspended in the jelly instead of floating at the top which is accomplished by cooling the jelly until it just starts to set. So if you're in a hurry and don't care about the appearance, you can just add the currants right away and then stir them in at serving time. If you don't have currants, I suspect red raspberries would also work well. Or you can make the jelly without adding berries. Anyway, this post is gorgeous. She's showing her Queen Anne's Lace Flower Harvest absolutely beautiful, and then how she makes this gorgeous jelly. What an inspiring post. In sustainability this week, 10th Acre Farm shared seven ways to fertilize with comfrey. Of course, comfrey is a powerhouse for pollinators in the garden, and it is a fantastic fertilizer. So these suggestions were perfect for the sustainability segment this week. In fact, one of the ideas is simply to use Comfrey to activate your compost. So just by taking cuttings and adding it to your compost, you're adding an excellent bioactivator to the mix. In continuing Ed this week, there were a number of posts. First up is a nice reminder from the blog Shiot's Run, which was don't forget to plant in the nooks and crannies of your garden. Plus, by planting little herbs in those spaces, like thyme, you can benefit pollinators. In fact, in this post, they wrote, I love being able to use these tiny nooks to grow plants, especially the ones that the pollinators love. And in this post, they shared this small little space between their doorway and the step of their front porch. And it was right in this little crevice that they planted thyme. And it looked adorable. Contemporist shared a great post this week. If you have a small space and love to entertain, you should really check out the backyard that they featured. It was gorgeous. And here's what they wrote. The backyard has been split by height and by materials to allow for different areas to be defined. Gravel has been used for the fire pit level, while wood has been used for the upper level. And then a path made from pavers connect the different spaces. If you're putting together some type of outdoor seating area, you really need to see this post. It was quite beautiful. Lots of great ideas here. Listener and blogger Tanya Peel over at the blog Plant and Shoot shared a post she had written called What Causes Tomatoes to Crack? And here's what she wrote. One day my tomatoes seem perfect and then when I look again a few days later, I see that All their skins are cracking. Some tomatoes appear to be more prone to cracking than others, particularly my large heirloom varieties. I don't always have this problem when growing tomatoes. Am I doing something wrong? And then Tanya wrote, tomato cracking is very common in the South and is mainly caused by sudden fluctuations in soil moisture. This can be due to periods of excess rain or watering, followed by periods of drought, or infrequent watering and humidity. Cracks result when the fruit expands quicker than the skin can grow. Basically, the tomato bursts at the seams. Tanya shares lots of great information on cracked tomatoes and then a few simple ways to help prevent tomato cracking. So check out her post. And then finally in sustainability, the blog Cold Climate Gardening wrote a great piece earlier this month called What Placeholder Plants Can Do For You. This was written by Kathy Purdy, and she said this, When I finally grasped the concept of placeholder plants, it changed my life. Well, what I mean is, It reduced my garden maintenance load, and I enjoyed my garden more with less work. Not precisely life-changing, but definitely life-improving. And then to clarify, a placeholder plant is a garden-worthy plant, so not a weed. You have to have a lot of it. And it's easily removed. This is a great article about placeholder plants and includes a couple of examples. And I love what Kathy says at the end because she has this little section called, What's the Catch?, And here's the catch. She wrote, You have to remember that they're just placeholders. And after a while, your eye gets used to them and skips over them while you're looking for a spot for the plant in your hand. And then you have to have the willpower to pull them out. She wrote, I love Johnny jump-ups. They're so sweet. But I had to remind myself that they were leggy and on their last blooms. Pretty soon, they'd be nothing but seed heads and stems. So this can be difficult for new or sentimental gardeners, but it can be a wonderful strategy in the garden. So check out this post if you want to learn more. In the how-to DIY segment, I shared this adorable garden tic-tac-toe game that's using a stump for a playing board and then stones that have been painted to be either ladybugs or bumblebees. It's a sweet addition to the garden. And then finally in the DIY segment this week, Stephanie Rose wrote in Garden Therapy a wonderful idea for a pallet planter, and this one was stunning. In fact, she shared a lot of different ideas that she'd collected on social media, showing ideas from including vegetables in your pallet planter and succulents. Lots of great ideas here. In the plant spotlight this week is a post from Press Telegram that's praising the many virtues of zinnias. And it has this witty line, zinnias are without zinnias. And then listener Tanya Peel wrote, I love zinnias. A few of mine are showing signs of powdery mildew. So I need to be more careful to only water the roots. And then don't forget that you can create a spray using milk and water or yogurt and water and use that to help with powdery mildew. In the news this week, Tracy Blevins of Plants Map shared a post that she found and she wrote, the next time you buy an orchid, Leave with the one you paid for, or police may come knocking. This was a post shared by the India Times, and the headline was, Incredibly rare orchid worth millions almost becomes this woman's house plant, and here's how. Apparently, a Chinese woman accidentally exchanged her thrift deal with a whopping $3 million plant. She was at a nursery in China, And she had bought an orchid, but when she was on her way out of the store, her eyes landed on an orchid that looked so similar, just a little perkier. So she put what she had bought in the vase and then walked away with the other one. The only problem was that what she picked was a rare exotic orchid. It was a prized possession for the nursery. They had just put the orchid there on display. Fortunately, the police were able to track the woman down who had absolutely no knowledge of what she had done. And when they questioned her, she said, I just picked it because I thought it was a little perkier and I thought it was the same plant. Also in the news was a post by Herbal Academy and they shared the interesting story behind Victory Gardens. This was a very comprehensive post about Victory Gardens often called war gardens or food gardens for defense. And then one interesting note that they shared is that kohlrabi and kale were two uncommon plants that were easily grown in victory gardens. Both of them were introduced on the list of plants that were available in Victory Gardens. And then they shared a couple of recipes that could be made from foods grown with Victory Gardens. So they shared a recipe for kohlrabi pickle chips as well as corn pancakes. In the Dream Guest segment this week is Dutch artist, Micah Koster. And when I shared this post with listeners, I wrote, I'll reach out to her as soon as I'm finished drooling over her work. There was a great post written about her on Gardenista recently. And Koster has a knack for combining her own houseplants and prints. And she has an amazing online shop, and it's called My Dear Art Shop. And it was so successful that she's now got a brick and mortar store in Harlem, Netherlands. And then this piece by Gardenista showed a few glimpses of her store and her nearby home, which are both filled with compelling pairings of potted and painted greenery. I loved this post. And then finally in the Dream Guest segment was landscape designer Tom Stewart-Smith. And his gorgeous landscape was featured in DesireToInspire.net. It is something else. And I say he's been touched by the landscaping gods. And I'd love to know some of the things that he's learned after creating beautiful landscapes like the one in his own backyard. In Science This Week, there was a fascinating article by Ken Thompson, and I thoroughly enjoyed this post. The article was called, How Buttercups Can Teach You the Age of a Meadow, and this article appeared in The Telegraph. And here was my favorite excerpt. So, now we have the right plant plus the right mutation, and of course, he's referring to buttercups. He said, Finding the age of a meadow could hardly be simpler. Just look at 100 randomly chosen creeping buttercup flowers and count how many have more than the five regulation petals. Every flower with extra petals equals roughly seven years. So if you looked at 100 flowers and 14 of them had extra petals, your meadow is about 100 years old. Isn't that fascinating? Also in science this week, there was a new plant discovery in Japan. This was shared in sciencedaily.com, and the title is New Non-Photosynthesizing Plant Species is Discovered on Ishigaki Island in Japan. And the flowers on this tiny little specimen are these adorable little purple blooms it's incredible to think that it's a non-photosynthesizing plant. Pretty cool find. In shopping this week, I'd like to encourage you to go get the book Potted with the subtitle, Make Your Own Stylish Garden Containers. It offers 23 step-by-step container garden projects. And there are lots of ahas and great takeaways in this book. And if you get the book, you'll be all set for an upcoming episode. Because the gals who wrote it are coming on the show. So I'm so excited about that. Also in shopping, there's a freebie for you over at Botanical Paperworks. Botanical Paperworks has updated their collection of designer freebie calendars that you can print at home or take to a local print shop. And they're gorgeous. They have four designs for you to choose from and an extra special new design coming very soon. So be sure to check back. Take a look. Pick your favorite design, download the PDF and print it. It's a great little find and it's from Botanical Paperworks. And the link is in the Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. So check it out. In inspiration this week, there were a number of posts. The first was a little peek behind the scenes at Chelsea and these wonderful topiaries that are made with easy grass. And when I shared this in the group, Patricia Chandler Newport shared a topiary that she made and it looks like a poodle. And I wrote, how long does it take to create this little poodle topiary. It's actually not a little poodle topiary. It looks like it's about eight feet tall because they're standing on ladders and trimming this thing. And she said it takes a couple of hours when she goes in to maintain this topiary with her crew. What a cool job. And then mychicagobotanic.org shared a great post on the beautiful butterflies that are enjoying the Chicago Botanic Garden. And the butterfly that they start out featuring is the orange dead leaf butterfly. And they wrote this. If we didn't point this character out to guess, no one would ever suspect that they were looking at a butterfly. It looks like a leaf. And then they wrote, I like to describe the orange dead leaf butterfly as being able to mimic a dead leaf far better than an actual dead leaf can. When it closes its wings, the butterfly has a perfectly ovate silhouette, complete with both a pointed leaf apex at the front tip and a stalk on the hind side. The wing is a drab brown. I mean, truly drab with leaf veining. And of course, this makes it go completely unnoticed by all but the sharpest predators. Super cool. And then gardener Carrie Preston recently shared her photo album of Pete Udolph's garden. And when I saw her album, I wrote her and asked for permission to share it with the Facebook group. I thought her photos and commentary were excellent. So I hope you've had a chance to spend some time this past week looking through the wonderful photos. There's so much to take in. Carrie had the rare opportunity to visit his personal garden, and they were the only visitors. And if that wasn't enough, Pete spent several hours walking around the garden with them, talking about plants, discussing plant design, and adding layers of meaning to what they were seeing. She shared over 30 photos, and she wrote, I've tried to be a bit selective in the photographs, but too many of them are either too pretty not to share or show something I'd like to archive. Everybody should check this out. I thought it was absolutely tremendous. And if you join the group, there will be a search bar where you can search for posts and just go to that search bar and type in Pete, P-I-E-T, and Carrie's album will pop up and you can peruse it. This one's well worth searching for. I didn't share any recipes in the group this week, but I do have quotables for you. And this week's quotables are about the glory of gardening. And I was inspired to focus on this by listener Philip Busili, who shared some gorgeous pictures of his garden and accompanied them with this quote by Alfred Austin. The glory of gardening, hands in the dirt, head in the sun, heart with nature. To nurture a garden is to feed not just the body, but the soul. So, the glory of gardening was my theme, and I found these quotes to accompany the one that Philip shared. Here's one by Thomas Jefferson. No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth, and no culture comparable to that of the garden. Here's one I loved by George Bernard Shaw. The best place to find God is in a garden. You can dig for him there. And then here's a great one by William Wordsworth. Your mind is the garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. The harvest can either be flowers or weeds. Albert Einstein wrote, look deep into nature and you will understand everything better. Here's a quote I have stenciled on a wall in my front room. If you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need by Marcus Tilius Cicero. And then finally, this gem by Oscar de la Renta. Gardening is the work of a lifetime. You never finish. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition into the topic of today's show, Echinacea. Today, I'm taking you on a deep dive into all things Echinacea, and I'm calling this episode the Echinacea Evolution episode. And here's a little analogy to illustrate the best qualities of growing Echinacea. I always like to say Echinacea is just like my grandmother Bernadette. Echinacea is a daughter of the prairie, Absolutely beautiful and tough as nails. And once you meet her, you're going to love her. Between now and the end of summer... Gardeners appreciate any perennial that provides a fresh pop of color and vigor to tide them over until fall. Of course, black-eyed Susans fit the bill, but for me, it's tough to beat Echinacea this time of year in the garden. And if you've never grown the new varieties, hold on to your plants because you're in for a beautiful blast of color. And don't get me started on how easy they are to grow. Echinacea love full sun. They are drought tolerant. They're a fantastic pollinator plant. And I've said it before in my Basil Mania episode where I sing the praises of basil At some point in your development as a gardener, you develop an appreciation for the plants that you can grow that are just natural home runs. And with all the varieties and colors of Echinacea on the market today, You really can't go wrong. I mentioned earlier in the introduction that today's deep dive into the echinacea evolution is just the beginning of the story of what has been happening to this plant over the past 13 years. Breeders are creating an ever more beautiful color palette for echinacea. In fact, it was so fun to look at the posts on social media as I was researching this episode because invariably, people express disbelief and an instant desire when they see these incredible new selections. They say things like, I must have this, or it's on my list, or perfection, I love this plant, or my favorite, this must be an April Fool's. Indeed, these new varieties can have an almost otherworldly or susical quality. This Echinacea Evolution episode is my little retrospective on Echinacea. So, if you've never grown a new variety, or even if you've never grown the old standby species, purpurea, it's all good because you're about to be given just as much information as a gardener can handle when it comes to Echinacea. And I'm totally serious about this. In fact, this is probably the most challenging episode I've put together because there really isn't a comprehensive resource capturing this exciting time in echinacea breeding and history. In fact, I had to piece a lot of this together and I'm hoping I got it right and I'm hoping that it inspires you in the same way that all of this research has inspired me to track down some of the new varieties to grow in my own garden and definitely to appreciate the amazing work of these breeders. And incredibly, it's happening right now in our lifetime. And that's very exciting. For this Echinacea Evolution show, let me give you a quick roadmap. I'll start with how to care for Echinacea. It's really pretty easy, but I've also stumbled on some great advice from the breeders themselves that should help ensure greater success for growing Echinacea in your garden. We'll talk about the propagation and the challenges of growing Echinacea, including the status of the hardiness debate, and I'll share some of the history, taxonomy, and herbal uses for echinacea. And before I discuss the species and specific new varieties, I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize some of the amazing folks who have brought these new selections into the world. Jim Alt, Richard and Bobby Saul, Ari Bloom, Dan Himes, Kevin Hurd, Kim Hawks, Marco Van Noort and Pete Odolph. Finally, I'll take you through some of the amazing new varieties of Echinacea. Just know that there are over 500 now, and my list is just a fraction of the new selections. So, phew, that's the goal for today's show, The Echinacea Evolution. Let's get started. All right, let's kick things off with how to care for or grow coneflowers or echinacea. Echinacea need full sun and fertile, well-drained soil. You don't want to plant them in wet spots, but you should incorporate a nice layer of mulch over the crowns of the plant during the winter. Now, once you plant echinacea, you should leave it alone. Don't move it around, they don't transplant very well. Now, here's a tip that I found on many websites about echinacea. You want to give your sunshiny colored echinacea extra good drainage. So, if you have echinacea with yellow, orange, or apricot blooms, you're going to want to make sure that you've got them in a well-drained area. In fact, when I plant mine, I tend to mound them up a little bit. And here's another tip about succeeding with the yellow or orange echinacea. Try removing all of the flowers and flower buds during the plant's first year in the garden. So over the course of that first year, by the end of August, at the very latest, so you have a month left, remove all of the flowers that that coneflower, that orange or yellow coneflower has produced in their first year. You can put them in bouquets. And bring them inside the house to enjoy. But the point here is you kind of want to treat them like you do the blueberry bush. So just as we pick blueberry flowers in their first year so that they focus their energy on getting established instead of producing all that fruit, you want to do the same thing with these yellow and orange cone flowers to help them get established. So enjoy the blooms while they're getting produced, but then make sure to cut them all off the plant. Don't leave them on the plant past August. Other tips on care include recognizing that these plants really do prefer full sun. They like the heat. They like hot temperatures. And you have to remember that these are prairie plants. These are plants that were grown on the open prairie, So if you can think about replicating those conditions, that's how they're going to be the most happy. And like most prairie plants, echinaceas are tough. They're drought tolerant once they're established. But again, that doesn't mean don't water them, especially if you have a new plant. You definitely want to make sure it's getting at least an inch of water a week. And of course, adding compost to your soil will only help these guys. Now, in my garden, I leave most of the echinacea standing with the spent flowers because the birds enjoy feeding on that seed throughout the winter. So, think about your echinacea flower heads as free bird seed. Now, a popular question that most people ask regarding echinacea is whether or not you should deadhead them. Now, deadheading echinacea is a common practice, and gardeners do it to encourage repeat blooming. But many of the new varieties are flower machines. They just keep producing flowers, and you don't even need to cut off the spent blooms. Now, what's nice about that is you get the prolific bloom, and at the same time, the spent flowers can remain for wildlife. And speaking of wildlife, you do have to sometimes exercise caution when it comes to deer and your coneflower. Because even though they have that prickly cone in the center of the flower, deer will eat coneflower. It's a common complaint on social media. And even though many publications about echinacea say that the deer aren't especially partial to echinacea, they will eat it if they're hungry enough. So take precautions to protect echinacea, especially if you've invested in a brand new variety and you really want to enjoy that bloom. Now, most echinacea are blooming right now. They'll start in June and go all the way through August and September. There are some early blooming coneflowers that start as early as May. Green jewel is one of them. We'll be talking about that variety later. And then late bloomers will continue into September. There's one that does this called fatal attraction and we'll be talking about that variety later as well. My point here is that If you choose your plants wisely, you can enjoy Echinacea in your garden for months. That's tremendous news for Echinacea lovers. All right, let's talk propagation. If spent flowers are left intact on the plant, your Echinacea will reseed without any effort on your part. Now, if you deadhead your echinacea, you will be preventing the spread of cone flowers in your garden. Most gardeners tend to do a mix. They leave some spent blooms on the plant to enjoy and for the wildlife, and then they collect some of the spent blooms for seed collection. A note of caution here on reseeding. The exception to reseeding is, is most of the newer hybrids, they do not set seed. Now, the original species will reseed in the garden. And if you're collecting those flower heads, one of the strategies to get at the seed is to take that cone head and a needle nose plier and pull the spines out of the cone, thereby releasing the seed. In fact, there's a great video on YouTube showing a gentleman who does this to get at the seeds on his echinacea plants. And he said each cone can produce as many as 100 seeds. So it's a very worthwhile endeavor to take some of those cones and store some seed for the following year. Now, there's some debate whether echinacea needs cold stratification. However, it seems that most people do this. They give their seeds at least eight weeks of cold temperatures now after your seeds germinate you can separate or thin the seedlings so that your plants are about 12 to 18 inches apart and that's basically it now it's also possible to propagate echinacea taking cuttings so you just take four inch or six inch cutting in the spring and then add some rooting hormone And you can propagate echinacea using that method as well. All right, let's talk about some problems that you can encounter with your echinacea. There are generally very few problems for this perennial, but you should be on the lookout for stem rot or powdery mildew. Now, if you properly space your plants and you make sure they have adequate drainage, the key to growing echinacea, most of these problems can be kept to a minimum. We talked about deer just a few minutes ago. They tend to prefer the younger plants, the baby plants, and they avoid mature plants, but they will eat them if they're hungry enough. So in general, keep a weather eye out for deer and take steps to protect your echinacea from them. Now, occasionally I've seen a fungal leaf spot on my echinacea, but it won't kill the plant. So all you have to do if you get that is just remove the affected leaves, just throw them away, don't compost them. And the other thing to watch out for is aster yellows. This doesn't just impact echinacea, it impacts a whole constellation of plants in your garden. But in particular, with your echinacea, aster yellows will cause the central cone to mutate. And then you'll also see it sprout leaves and green flowers. In fact, sometimes when you have aster yellows, your plant will become so bizarre that you'll think you'll have a new cultivar, when in actuality, you should be getting rid of that plant. Now, how your plant ends up with aster yellows is it becomes infected with a microscopic organism known as a phytoplasma. And the tiny insect known as a leafhopper most commonly spreads it. So in the same way that mosquitoes carry disease, leafhoppers carry this phytoplasma. And that's how your plants will get infected with it. Now, there's no cure for it. So if your plant is impacted by it, the best course is to just dig it up and throw it away. The new cultivars are caught up in a hardiness debate because when many of the new varieties were introduced, they didn't last over the winter or they didn't last past two winters. And so, as you can imagine, breeders have been busily working to create hybrids with not only the fantastic colors and exotic flower forms, they're trying to extend the hardiness of these varieties. Now, in the Northwest, you'll hear people complain that these new cultivars can't handle the wet winters. And of course, the difference between the new varieties and the older original varieties is that the older ones, the seed-grown echinaceas continue in the garden because even if you lose the original plant after a while, you end up with all these little new seedlings around the base of that plant. So you don't notice that you're losing that older form of echinacea because you have a little baby plant to take its place. But with the newer varieties, they very rarely set seed. And when they do, it's difficult to get the new variety to stay true. So when you have the new variety and they die out, you're going to have a hole in your garden that you need to fill. So The important thing to remember with your echinacea is that you want to keep that new variety alive as long as possible. This is where good drainage comes into play. I can't emphasize that enough. And then, of course, the next thing is to choose the very best varieties. And I'll be doing that at the back end of the show. So stay tuned for that. Now, in terms of hardiness, there were a few articles that I found on both sides of the debate. Some people saying they're not very hardy and then other breeders saying, you know what, they're hardier than you think and they get better every year. So one of the articles that I found was featured in The Telegraph back in August of 2014, so just three years ago and they gave a quote from Bob Brown, the owner of Cotswold Garden Flowers. And here's what he says about hardiness. Part of the problem might be winter damp. A plant which habitually goes into a deep freeze winter just goes dormant. Remember, they're prairie plants. And then he says, warm and moist conditions encourage pathogens. So echinaceas might rot easily in mild, wet winters. And then the writer of this article goes on to say, this is as good an account as any and helps explain why there is a definite correlation between the amount of yellow in the flower and the number of people who mourn the loss of an echinacea the first spring after planting. Because think about this, the gene for the yellow flowered varieties comes from Paradoxa, which is a species that is grown in dry habitats. So this is the price you pay for that beautiful yellow color. Yes, it's an Echinacea, but if you're not creating the conditions that it likes to have in order to thrive and grow, it's not going to return the next year. And that makes sense. So keep that in mind, especially when we're talking about yellow varieties later on in the show. Now, on the other side of this debate, there were two very excellent posts by operators of nurseries that actually sell these new echinaceas. The first was by Angela Treadwell Palmer, and the other was by Dan Himes. And here's what they recommend to help ensure hardiness Angela wrote, there's nothing non-hardy about these hybrids if they're planted in well-drained soil and allowed to establish. There's that well-drained soil caution again. Clay soil can be death. Planting too late can also be a problem. And she says poor drainage can be an especially big problem with orange varieties. So Angela offered a recipe for success with the fantastic new hybrids. And here's what she said. If you're a gardener, plant them early, plant them high if you have poor drainage. So my technique of mounding up my echinacea has probably helped me. And then finally, don't be afraid to tip the pot in the nursery and look for roots. You should see roots on these plants if you're purchasing them from a nursery. And then she says, if you're a grower, cut off the first blooms of a new crop so that they can make more crown and roots. And then make sure you keep all coneflowers dry in winter months. Your cone flowers, your budget, and your suppliers will thank you. And Angela ended her post like this. You can be successful as a grower or a gardener with all of these new, very coveted selections if you follow these simple rules. And when you hear a friend or a customer say, those new coneflowers are not winter hardy, please respond with au contraire, but they are. Let me tell you what I've learned. And she said, I would greatly appreciate a little help spreading the word. Now, here's what Dan wrote in his article called Echinacea Surviving Old Man Winter. And this was published back in 2009. Here's what he wrote. Plants of the straight Echinacea purpurea, so these are the pinks and the whites, have strong tap roots that store food, making them much easier to overwinter. The popular new varieties introduce Echinacea paradoxa, that yellow variety that we talked about earlier that prefers that super dry habitat. Now, paradoxa also has a different root structure. Here's what Dan says. In nature, the fibrous rooted paradoxa rarely blooms the first year, allowing it to build an overwintering crown. The hybrids can and do bloom the first year, flower until frost, and then they have kind of an I could have had a V8 moment because they realize, oh my gosh, I forgot to build a decent crown. And the result is poor winter survival. So here's what he says. As a general rule, northern tier states should plant their echinacea by July. So get your echinacea in the ground. You have about a week left. And then Dan wants you to enjoy the flowers as cut flowers to help allow the plant to build that crown that's necessary for the coming years. Now, in southern tier states, you want to do the same thing. So during the months of September through October, you want to be helping that plant bulk up by cutting the flowers. Dan's other piece of advice is not to shear the plants during winter months. Keep that in mind as well. So there's the two sides of the hardiness debate. If you have some evidence in your own experience on either side of that, consider some of these factors and see if you can't tip the scales in your favor. Let's talk a little bit about the history and taxonomy of echinacea. Echinacea purpurea, that original purple cone flower, that most of us think of when we hear the word echinacea, was discovered by European explorers and then sent to England in 1699 by John Bannister. John had been sent to Virginia to study our flora and fauna, and echinacea was one of the species that he collected and sent back to England. Now, echinacea are in the asteraceae family. In other words, they're in the composite family. And this is a huge plant family. There's like 480 genre. And they all have that same type of flower, that daisy happy flower that we think of when we think of this particular family. And of course, daisies are in this family. Sunflowers are in this family. Asters, mums, zinnia. It's a good thing to remember that when it comes to echinacea, They're closely related to the genus Rudbeckia. Rudbeckia was named by Linnaeus after his teacher, Olaf Rudbeck. And I mention this because I will be talking briefly about Echabecchia later in this episode. And I love that name. That's awesome. So tuck that little nugget away and save it for later in the show. In terms of taxonomy, echinacea derives from the Greek word echinos, which means hedgehog, which I thought was adorable. And of course, it refers to the thorny chaffs in the center of the cone. So that little cone with all those little spikes around it looks like a little hedgehog. And that's a cool fact to point out to kids in the garden. So the next time you're talking to your kids about echinacea, ask them if they can't see the hedgehog resemblance when they're looking at the cone. I think that's a really cool fact to share with kids. Another wonderful fact about this plant is that it's a native of the United States. In fact, when I was doing my research, I stumbled on a map of the United States that was marking all of the different areas where perennial echinacea were found. And for the most part, that area runs from the plains down to Texas and into the Atlantic region of the United States. And I read that the area of greatest species richness lies in a band running from the Ozark Mountains of Missouri south through the east-central grasslands of Oklahoma, and then two of the species are found in the southern part of the United States. One, of course, is Tennesseeensis, and the other is Lyphagata, both of which are considered federally endangered. Now that we've covered the history, taxonomy, and origin of Echinacea, let's talk a little bit about the species that make up the genus. It's important to note that the number of species within the genus has changed a lot over history, but in 1968, taxonomists said, you know what, we're going to have a list of nine, and here they are. So I'm going to walk you through these. So think about it this way. Purple coneflower, the coneflower you're thinking of when I say echinacea, is echinacea purpurea. And I'm going to talk more about it in a little bit. But just think about that flower and imagine that it has eight cousins. Because that's the scenario that I'm going to walk you through right now. Let's start out with echinacea angustifolia. Now, I was curious to learn where that term angustifolia comes from. And the root of it, angust, is Latin for narrow or straight. And folium, of course, refers to the leaves. So echinacea angustifolia has narrow leaves. This is also the smallest of all the echinacea and the most northerly ranging. So, I think about angustifolia as kind of the runt of the litter, but here's the wonderful thing about it. It's considered to be the most potent of all the species. In fact, Echinacea angustifolia is increasingly used as a medicinal plant. Lewis and Clark discovered angustifolia when they were exploring the United States, and they actually sent some to Thomas Jefferson. You can imagine his delight when he opened up that container and saw Echinacea and Gustafolia. And he was probably even more delighted when he read their notes about it. They referred to Echinacea and Gustafolia as mad dog plant. That's what was written on their packing list. And they said, This plant is highly prized by the natives as an efficacious remedy in the cases of a bite by a snake or a mad dog. You can almost imagine how Augustafolia would have been packaged if we were packing it up today to send a specimen to someone important. We'd probably put a little star by it. We'd probably put a post-it note on it saying, do not lose this plant. And that's basically what Lewis and Clark did when they sent this plant to Thomas Jefferson. And I am going to take a moment here just to talk about some of the medicinal properties of angustifolia, because this is the species that's most prized for its healing qualities. And let's begin by talking about how Native Americans use this plant, because of course they would have been the original users of echinacea. I found an excellent article that was written over at CloverLeafFarmHerbs.com and they shared the story of a Pawnee village that was excavated. They uncovered roots that were identified as being coneflower. And the ethnobotanist Melvin Gilmore at the University of Michigan, reported the root of this plant was used to treat snake bites. And he stated the Pawnee Indians, along with other tribes, used the coneflower for more ailments than any other plant. They used it for toothaches, sore throats, coughs and infections, And their preferred method for getting the medicine into their bodies was to suck on the roots of echinacea. The Blackfoot tribe chewed the root to help with toothaches. The Sioux tribe applied fresh scraped root of echinacea as a poultice if you ever got an animal bite. It says here Winnebago medicine men used it to make their mouths insensitive to heat so they could put a live coal into their mouths to demonstrate their power. The Cheyenne made tea from the leaves so that they could have a remedy for sore mouths or gums. Early settlers of Oklahoma used it for their own sicknesses as well as for their livestock. They reported that if a cow or horse did not eat well, it soon began to thrive when echinacea was added to its feed. Isn't that fascinating? Today, echinacea is in the top 10 for sales for herbs and botanicals in the United States. And if you're growing echinacea to sell the roots for herbal use, the price can range anywhere from $12 to $21 a pound. This is a serious market. In fact, the global annual market for echinacea has been as high as $320 million in recent years. All right, let's move on from Echinacea angustifolia and talk about the next species, which is Echinacea atrorubens. Echinacea atrorubens is a very rare species. It's indigenous to Arkansas and Missouri, and atro comes from the Latin word, which means dim black and rubens which means black red so the color of echinacea atrorubens is purple red echinacea atrorubens is also called the topeka purple cone flower say that 3 times fast and it can be found growing around limestone or sandstone outcroppings again in dry soil next up is the species echinacea lifagata lifagata has a taproot and it's very rare and desirable. Again, it's one of the federally endangered species. It's native from Pennsylvania, south to Alabama. The petals on this one droop, which make it look a little sad looking. Echinacea lifagata is also known as the smooth purple coneflower. It can produce three foot tall flower spikes. The flowers can range in color this particular perennial likes an open, glade-like habitat. So keep that in mind if you attempt to grow it. It's hardy in zones three through eight. Next up is Echinacea pallida. Now, this one is really one of the prettiest flowers. It's also known as the pale purple coneflower. And like the fagata, it's got those sad, drooping petals. Now, when you think about pallida in terms of what most of us think of, which is the purpurea, pallida is more elegant and it's slower to establish, but it can be very long-lived. Now, the common name for Echinacea pallida is pale coneflower. And of course, pallida derives from the Latin for pale. Now, this particular one has white pollen there is another species known as Echinacea simulata, and that one has yellow pollen instead of white pollen. Palada is particularly great in perennial borders because it's got this very narrow form. It's hardy in zones five through eight. It flowers very tall, about three feet tall, and imagine you have this very narrow-leaved drooping Echinacea that's blowing nicely in the summer breeze. And there you have Echinacea pallida. Pallida is one of the common species of Echinacea. So when you think of the common species, you're thinking of the purpurea, the one that most of us think of when we say the word coneflower, and then you have pallida, or the pale purple coneflower, and you can identify it because it's got those long, thin petals that droop straight down, and pallida will bloom first. It will bloom before the purpurea. In fact, it will bloom about two to four weeks earlier than the purpurea. The other common one that we've already talked about is angustifolia, the one that's used for medicinal purposes. All right, we're halfway there, and then we'll talk about the common purple cone flower, the purpurea. So let's cover the next three. First up is paradoxa. Echinacea paradoxa is referring, of course, to the paradox of color for this plant. Instead of being a purple coneflower, this coneflower is yellow. Paradoxa is a cheerful, happy-looking plant, and of course, this is the species where the oranges and the yellows, sunshiny colored hybrids are coming from. So your yellows, your oranges, your peaches, all will have some components of Paradoxa built in. Paradoxa has drooping petals like the palata but they're yellow in this instance. It has a fibrous root system and it's hardy in zones four through nine. And I love what one article I read said about paradoxa. They wrote this, the difficult to find yellow coneflower is indeed a paradox as all other coneflowers are either purple or white. This strange relative from the Midwest, don't we all have one of those, has narrow fuzzy green leaves that form a small basal clump which gives rise to four foot plus flower stems topped in late spring with large yellow cone flowers with dark brown centers. Anyway, that I thought was the perfect summation of Echinacea paradoxa. All right, next up is Echinacea sanguinea. Sanguinea, of course, would be a blood red echinacea. And it's the most southerly ranging species. And it's also the first to flower of all the echinacea. So this southern echinacea would be native to open sandy fields and woods in eastern Texas or southeastern Oklahoma, Louisiana, southwestern Arkansas. And again, when you're thinking about those sandy soils, you should be thinking about fast drainage to have well-drained soils. And then finally, the last cousin to Purporea that we're going to talk about is Echinacea Tennessensis. Now, I've read that tennessensis can last for more than eight years. So this can be a longer lasting species than some of the others that we've talked about. Tennesseensis is sold as Echinacea rocky top. It is a federally endangered species, so you have to have a permit if you're going to sell it. And it said in one of the descriptions, it is one of the longest lived and most adaptable of the coneflower family. And then it says dot, dot, dot. Guess what? provided it has very good drainage. So star that, put a circle around it, make sure that when you're thinking about echinacea and your garden, that you're siting it in a very well-drained area. All right, let's move into echinacea purpurea. Echinacea purpurea is the purple cone flower we've all probably had some experience with. And even if you haven't grown it, you've probably seen it before. You can buy Echinacea at the big box stores. You can buy them in any garden center. These guys were a favorite long before the new hybrids came along. Echinacea purpurea is kind of a coarse, hairy plant. You have that beautiful daisy flower. It grows anywhere between two and five feet tall. It will rebloom even if you don't deadhead it. But if you do deadhead it, you'll have a neater looking plant. Purpurea, of course, comes from the Latin and it simply means purple. Now, like Angustifolia, purple echinacea, purple coneflower, is used for its medicinal purposes. Echinacea purpurea is the most widely cultivated medicinal species of the genus Echinacea. In fact, all parts of the plant are harvested, including the flowering heads, and the roots. Echinacea purpurea can be found in virtually every state east of the Mississippi River. It is hardy in zones 3 through 9, and after it was discovered in 1699, it was well on its way to becoming a popular European herb and ornamental flower. So now you know the nine species, let's go through them one more time and then we'll talk about the exciting new developments that are taking us into the future of Echinacea. So the nine species are Angustifolia, Atrorubens, Livagata, Palida, Simulata, Paradoxa, Sanguinea, Tenesiansis, and Purpurea. And as we start to get into breeding, you'll hear me talk about purpurea and the paradoxa. So you've got the purple and the yellow. And then there have been a few new developments with pallida that we'll talk about as well. All right, let me tell you what I was able to discover about this fascinating history of breeding echinacea. It really got started in the 1960s in Germany. So, sometime in the 1960s, the Germans began trying to improve echinacea by making cultivar selections. Then enter Ronald McGregor. Ronald McGregor played an important role in modern hybridization of echinacea because he wrote a monograph, a detailed study about echinacea in 1968 and he published his work in the Kansas Science Bulletin. And to this day, Kansas is the primary repository for McGregor's specimens. In fact, in 1990, the botanical collection at the University of Kansas was named in his honor. It's named the Ronald L. McGregor Herbarium. McGregor passed away in 2012 at the age of 93. He was a son of Green, Kansas, born on April 4th, 1919. He fought in the Pacific during World War II, received his PhD in 1954, and was promoted to the chair of the Department of Botany at Kansas University in 1957. During his career, he collected nearly 42,000 specimen numbers in the United States and Mexico. His herbarium is dedicated to the study of Great Plains flora, and he authored nearly 200 papers, and one of those papers happened to document the possibility of interspecies crosses within the genus Echinacea. Now, before I continue on with the story of these plant breeders, it's important to understand a little bit about coneflower breeding. In the early articles that talk about the exciting new developments in hybridization that were taking place in the early 2000s, they all referenced this similar paragraph. And here's what it says. Coneflowers are self-incompatible, meaning they cannot pollinate their own flowers. They depend on insects like bees to transfer pollen between plants for successful seed set. Strangely enough, the pollen can be from any other coneflower, not just the same species. So fast forward to 1968 with Ronald McGregor and his article, his monograph. And what he detailed was how different species of echinacea could be successfully crossed. Now, when McGregor wrote his article, no one paid much attention to it until 1995. In 1995, Dr. Jim Alt, director of ornamental plant research at the Chicago Botanic Garden, selected echinacea as a plant to be featured in a new plant breeding initiative at the Botanic Garden. And this whole journey into the exciting world of hybridization was set to get underway. Now, that new plant breeding initiative at the Chicago Botanic Garden was to be part of what was called the Chicago Grows Plant Introduction Program. The program was designed to identify, evaluate, produce and market plants that perform well in northern Illinois. And of course, coneflowers already did great in Northern Illinois. And one fateful day, Dr. Alt read McGregor's 1968 publication that there was an untapped genetic gold mine waiting within the genus Echinacea. That was in 1995. Inspiration struck, and Dr. Alt spent two years assembling a collection of Echinacea species and cultivars. By 1997, he had begun crossing the different coneflowers, focusing on interspecific crosses or crosses between the coneflower species. So he starts that endeavor in 1997, and it takes him seven years until he has the first public introduction, an orange flower he named Arts Pride in honor of a major donor to the Botanic Garden. Arts Pride is marketed under the trademark name Orange Meadowbrite, and Meadowbrite is one word, and it's on my list of echinacea that I'll be talking about later in the show. So here we have Dr. Alt, who successfully started crossing species. In the case of Arts Pride, he was crossing echinacea paradoxa that paradoxically yellow coneflower, with the thriving Echinacea tennesseeensis. And that wonderful combination resulted in orange and pastel colors. And as one article I read stated in honor of Dr. Alt, all the breeders who are successful in breeding Echinacea today took advantage of the trailblazing, pioneering work of Dr. Jim Alt. Now, around the time Dr. Alt is in Chicago working on crossing different species of echinacea, Jan van Winsen is in the Netherlands, and he finds a double-flowered seedling in his cut flower fields. So here's Jan. He is a specialist in annuals and cut flowers. And he begins to develop this crop of the very first specimen of what later became known as Rasmataz. And he starts working on this in 1997. So while Dr. Alt is in Chicago cross pollinating different species of Echinacea, Jan van Winsen is in the Netherlands and he is growing crops of the very first double echinacea, the double blooming echinacea. Unfortunately, by 2001, Jan was just not experiencing any success marketing this unusual variety of echinacea, and he was on the verge of scrapping the entire thing. He was going to take all the double echinacea that he had been growing and just throw them in the compost heap. But the echinacea gods had a different plan. Jan happened to be speaking with his friend, Marco van Nort, and they were rowing a boat. They were in a boat together, and he mentions this double flowering echinacea. And you can almost picture this scenario, right? You have Jan and Marco in this boat, and Jan is telling him about this double bloom, and Marco's hearing this, and he's getting excited. He's in this boat, and he's hearing about this double bloom, this impressive double bloom on this echinacea and he is realizing what Jan is telling him and he sees it as a fantastic breakthrough for the species for Echinacea. So he makes an arrangement with Jan and he takes over his double blooming Echinacea and that becomes Rasmataz. Rasmataz, the echinacea species that was almost instantly extinct, were it not for that little boat ride between Jan and Marco. And when Rasmataz hits the market in 2003, gardeners go bananas. There is wild enthusiasm. In 2004, it was exhibited in a London flower show, and they actually had to have police guard the plants. It was that crazy. After that flower show, you can imagine what it was like. In 2005, people in the United States really were desperate to get their hands on this plant, and the prices for them went through the roof. So in the mid-2000s, things were really starting to heat up in the Echinacea breeding programs around the world. Now, as long as we're on the subject of Marco, let me tell you a little bit about Marco's profile. Marco is the son of a Dutch flower bulb and perennial growers. So he has plant growing in his DNA. His introductions include Razzmatazz, Delicious Candy, and Sensation Pink. Marco and his wife Heidi run their nursery in this gorgeous little village named Varmond in the west part of Holland. And later in the show, when we talk about some of the specific varieties, we will be talking about delicious candy and, of course, Rasmataz. Now, around the time Dr. Jim Alt is working at the Chicago Botanic Garden and Jan van Wensen is in the Netherlands discovering his double echinacea, Richard and Bobby Saul were also working on putting together colorful hybrids in the mid-1990s. Richard, however, used Echinacea purpurea as one of the parents. And by using Echinacea purpurea, Richard and his brother Bobby discovered that they could create better and longer-lived Echinacea hybrids. Richard and Bobby's nursery is in Atlanta, Georgia, and their early endeavors with echinacea were geared toward avoiding winter losses. But after Richard shared some of his seeds of his original crosses with Tony Avent of Plant Delights Nursery, he heard back from Tony that he was starting to see lemon yellow coneflower among his seedlings. And when Richard heard this, he and his brother abandoned the goal of trying to develop container hardiness and they began focusing on color. And when their coneflower hit the market in 2004, it was called the Big Sky Echinacea series. There was soft yellow sunrise and terracotta pink sunset. And if you think about those colors, you can immediately deduce that Richard was for sure using Paradoxa, that yellow coneflower, and purpurea. And thanks to the introduction of purpurea into the mix, Richard and Bobby's flowers have fuller toothed leaves and wider flower petals. And we'll be talking about another one of their top performers, Solar Flare, later on in the show. Now, in the late 1990s, Kim Hawks developed and patented a short coneflower that became known as Kim's knee-high. It's on my list of cone flower to talk about later in the show, but Kim's work definitely belongs on the timeline of echinacea evolution, and Kim's knee-high was the very first of the new generation echinacea to be patented and the first coneflower to be vegetatively produced. There are a number of other notable breeders that I'd like to make sure you're aware of. The first is Ari Bloom. Ari Bloom has a nickname, and he's called Mr. Double. He's a well-known breeder of double-flowering echinacea varieties. Ari began breeding cone flowers in 2002, and he started simply in his backyard. His very first introduction was Echinacea Pink Double Delight along with Echinacea Coconut Lime and Echinacea Hot Papaya, both of which we'll be talking about later in the show. Ari's work with double echinaceas is simply outstanding. In addition to hot papaya and coconut lime, Ari created the elegant champagne bubbles and the compact-growing meringue and the pure white milkshake. Notable echinacea's created by Ari include a couple from that Confections series, Butterfly Kisses and Hot Papaya. Those are doubles and they're highly sought after. And then his outstanding singles include Cleopatra, Julia, and Purple Emperor. After those initial introductions, the market was becoming a very exciting place for new Echinacea cultivars. Pete Adolf, The noted Dutch garden designer introduced Fatal Attraction, the Fatal Attraction Coneflower in 2006. And the unusual quality of Fatal Attraction was the dark stems. So you have this Fatal Attraction Coneflower with these bright purplish pink flowers that are held on these dark purple, almost black stems. They're very striking. In addition to Fatal Attraction, Pete introduced Green Jewel, a green coneflower, Virgin, a white coneflower, and Vintage Wine, a red coneflower. And we'll be talking about a few of those later on in the show as well. Another standout that made my list is a coneflower known as All That Jazz. All That Jazz was bred by Kevin Hurd of Walters Gardens, and it was the first real echinacea spider type known for its spoon-shaped petals. And when experts were first describing it, they said this, It's an incredibly unique new hybrid with completely quilled ray petals. Fragrant lavender pink flowers with an orange cone are produced on strong, tall stems. All that jazz was introduced way back in 2007. And unlike some of the more finicky echinaceas, jazz has persisted as a proven performer in the garden ever since. In Oregon, plant breeder and nursery owner Dan Himes is definitely among the leaders in the tissue culture breeding of Echinacea. The Prairie Pillar Series, the first strain introduced by Terranova, is the standard bearer for all of Terranova Echinacea. Aloha, which made my list, has wide melon yellow petals surrounding orange cones, It has a great fragrance and elegance and makes a huge impact when it's planted in your garden. And then finally, rounding out my list is Mark Veter. Mark Veter's Echinacea Green Envy was a sensation when it was introduced. In fact, when he showed a picture of his Echinacea to Tony Avent, Tony's first thought was, this has got to be photoshopped. And then once Tony was able to grow it for himself, he realized how truly unique this variety is. Now, what I love about Mark is he is just a hobbyist gardener. He lives in New York and he enjoys gardening and landscaping in his off time. But when he was creating Green Envy, he knew that he had something unique and he worked very hard to develop it and to bring it to the marketplace so other gardeners could enjoy it. I loved Mark's story and the development of Green Envy Echinacea. Well, I certainly hope I didn't miss any major breeders in my research of Echinacea. As I mentioned before, it just hasn't all been collected into one resource. And so you have to scramble around to try to find all of this information. And after all of this work, all of this development of these new and exciting hybrids, Today, echinacea come in all kinds of glorious colors, everything from pink and yellow to red and chartreuse. And there is a wide range of flower forms as well, from the standard varieties to the doubles with the powder puff center. Now, the modern hybrid echinacea are still so new that there are no formal cultivar groups that have been defined Some nurseries have started referring to these new varieties as Echinacea hybrida, but that's not an official name. And I just want to point out one more thing before we start to go through my specific list of coneflowers I'd like you to consider. There is a reason why the new cultivars can be expensive at times. Most of the new cultivars are propagated in labs via tissue culture. And tissue culture means that you take a piece of the plant and you use plant hormones to produce thousands of tiny new little baby plants in a dish or flask so you can imagine the resources that are required for creating these new cultivars and tissue culture is often really the only way to go because if you can imagine that you're crossing these two species of plants and hoping to come up with this perfect new variety something worthy of introducing to the marketplace you have to do it by tissue culture because it would take so very long to divide plants, whereas tissue culture is quicker, but it's definitely more expensive. Now, before I start to go through my list of the new Echinacea species, I want to introduce you to something new and exciting that you may not have heard of, and that's echabechia <laughs> and I love that name, Ekebeckia. And I think it's fun for the kids to say as well. Ekebeckia is a cross between black eyed Susans or Rudbeckia and Echinacea. So imagine the beautiful flowers of Rudbeckia and the toughness and the hardiness of Echinacea. And if you love orange, then Ekebeckia summerina brown is a fantastic addition. There's also Echabecchia summerina orange, and that's a cross between Echinacea purpurea and Rudbeckia herta. The bees love Echabecchia. The butterflies love it. So it's a great pollinator plant. And it's a nice way to spice up your garden late in the summer. It's great for those fall containers. So check to see if Echabecchia is available at a nursery or garden center near you. All right, without further ado, I'm going to go through my list of Echinacea hybrids, new cultivars that I like and that are reported to be excellent performers in the garden. So, this is an A to Z list, so there are no particular order. And then I'm saving three for the very end. They are some of the newest varieties on the market. Some of them are not even available yet, but they will be for sure by next year. So, I'll save those for last. Let's begin with All That Jazz. All That Jazz is the echinacea that was introduced by Kevin Hurd of Walter's Gardens. It's known for those spoon-shaped petals. The petals are truly outstanding. The pink version is known as All That Jazz, and then the yellow-flowered version has the clever title Passion Flute. And I saw a picture online of Passion Flute with All That Jazz, and people went nuts for this. In fact, I think people are more familiar with the All That Jazz version. And so when they saw this picture of the two intermingled, they were like, oh my gosh, I need that yellow one. So check that out, All That Jazz and Passion Flute. These varieties have performed well in people's gardens all that jazz and passion flute have this unusual spoon-shaped petal, And these Echinacea are hardy in zones 4 to 8. Echinacea Aloha is next on the list. Aloha is part of the Prairie Pillars series. This Echinacea is deer-resistant. And aloha has an extraordinarily long bloom season. So it has a long hello, a long aloha. It blooms from early summer all the way through frost. It has these wide melon yellow petals that surrounds an orange cone in the center. And this one is hardy in zones four through nine. Next up are two from the Big Sky series. The first is Harvest Moon. Of course, Richard Saul and his brother Bobby introduced the Big Sky Echinacea series. Harvest Moon has this gorgeous deep golden yellow color. It looks like warm butter. It can grow in zones three through eight, and it just radiates happiness and warmth. And then the other one that I really like in the Big Sky series is Sundown. Sundown is a cross between purpurea and Paradoxa, and this one has amazing color. It's a russet orange-red with hints of magenta. The cones are brownish-orange. This one is worth Googling because the color is so unique. You can grow it in zones three through eight. And many gardeners online on social media report growing Big Sky Sundown in their gardens for almost a decade. So very hardy. Great luck with Big Sky Sundown. And I don't want to end this one without giving you some type of visual. So imagine a beautiful like Easter sunset. That's what I think of that color, that pink spring sunset color. That's what I think of when I think of big sky sundown. All right. Next up is Echinacea Cheyenne Spirit. Cheyenne Spirit is unique because there are multiple bloom colors on a single plant. Yes, you heard me correctly. Multiple bloom colors on a single plant. Cheyenne Spirit is perfect for the fall. It attracts pollinators, it's wonderful by grasses. It's so colorful. Listener Ann Barklow and Danny Perkins both grow it. In fact, Danny Perkins shared a video of it. He said it's his second season. He didn't think the colors were as vibrant this year, but he still loves Cheyenne Spirit. And Cheyenne Spirit is an All-American Selections winner. Back in 2013, it was designated a winner. And what the judges loved about it was the attractiveness of the flowers and the range of colors. Plus, it's extremely sturdy and it does not need a ton of water. And this echinacea has some unique qualities. First, it's very compact. It doesn't fall over or flop down in the rain like many echinacea are prone to do. This particular echinacea does not need deadheading. And Cheyenne spirit is a seed strain, so it's stronger than many of the other differently-colored echinaceas. And if you're buying Cheyenne spirit, buy it in bloom so you can see which color and height you get. All right, next up from Terra Nova Nurseries is Chiquita. The Chiquita coneflower is a dwarf, and it's a showstopper. It grows to just one foot high, and of course, it has soft yellow banana-colored flowers. It blooms from July through September, and it makes a great border plant. And if you ask me, these look like banana-colored rudbeckias. All right, here's another great one on the list. It's Ari Bloom's Cleopatra. Cleopatra blooms its little heart out. It is a good, sturdy plant. It's got amazing yellow color with a darker yellow center. And then here's one of my personal favorites, Coconut Lime Echinacea. Oh my goodness. This guy has a frilled cone. It's big, too. You might want to stake it. It attracts pollinators. It's beautiful in a mixed border with lilies or Joe weed. This stunner is also by Aerie Bloom. He introduced it in 2006. It's hardy in zones three through nine. And back in 2006, it made headlines because it was the first double white coneflower. And let me tell you about it. Imagine a yellow pom-pom with white petals dripping down all around it. And you have coconut lime. In fact, on a single plant, you can get up to 20 blooms. That's crazy. It's hardy in zones three through eight, and it is just gorgeous. I mean, the pictures in the catalogs are amazing, but the pictures in real life are just as good. Fellow garden blogger Kathy Jens, who was just on the Garden Blogger Fling series, had shared a picture of coconut lime echinacea on Twitter a few years ago, and I stumbled on it when I was doing research for this particular echinacea, and. It looks fantastic. And this was just her taking a picture of it in a local Maryland garden. It's a stunner. So I tell you what, coconut lime is on my must-buy list for sure. In 2009, Terra Nova introduced an echinacea that's known as coral reef. It's a double, it has a large pom-pom flower that's peachy orange, and it's surrounded by a small row of peachy petals. These stems are three feet tall. Coral reef is hardy in zones four through nine, and it's beautiful. I'm seeing pictures of coral reef next to white flowers to really make it pop. It's often picked as a reliable and great echinacea choice. Some people say it's salmon colored. So, salmon or coral, that's the general color. And I love this echinacea, and I'm always trying trying to incorporate more oranges into my garden. Next up is an echinacea known as Delicious Candy, and this one's from Marco Van Nort. It is gorgeous. I would say it's the pink equivalent of the coral reef that we just discussed. Although this Delicious Candy is super vibrant. I'm talking about a hot hot pink. It's hardy, it's drought tolerant, and it's super attractive. And that's why Delicious Candy is on my must-buy list as well. Dixie Sun is another great variety of Echinacea. It's great for the front border or containers. The Dixie Series is compact Echinacea. So little, sturdy little plants that have many crowns and outstanding bud counts. Now, I liked Dixie Sun. I also liked Dixie Scarlet. Both very nice echinacea in that collection. This Dixie variety stands up nice and proud. The flowers are not quite as big as some of the other selections, but what they lose in size, they make up for in quantity. There are so many blooms on every single plant. So if you're looking for a strong and vigorous flowering variety of echinacea that's going to perform Dixie is a great choice. Well, next on the list is Fatal Attraction. Of course, Fatal Attraction was bred by the famous garden architect and designer, Pete Adolf. And with Fatal Attraction, you have this amazing dark stem. So you have the combination of this wine black stem that's holding this very intense purple pink flower. Fatal Attraction gets about two feet tall, and it's really a performer. It's going to put on a show in the middle of your garden. Fatal Attraction, of course, was introduced back in 2001. So now 16 years later, it's still making best echinacea lists. That's important. Other coneflowers that have the similar dark stem that Fatal Attraction has would be Merlot and Solar Flare, and we'll be talking about Solar Flare in a little bit. Fatal Attraction grows in zones three through eight. It's just beautiful, and it stays up nice and straight. Very desirable echinacea. All right, Firebird is next on the list. This is a 2009 release from Terra Nova Nurseries. And Firebird, as you can imagine, is a bright reddish orange echinacea and it has a dark brown central cone. It's hardy in zones four through nine. Lots of people love Firebird. There were tons of pictures on social media of pollinators enjoying the firebird echinacea, and it was a great contrast to them. It looks pretty exotic as well with that hot, fiery color. People report that it has wonderful habit. It's compact, very charming, and the flowers look like little shuttlecocks. They look like they're about ready to be batted away. And I think what makes Firebird an especially attractive standout is the fact that it has these amazing flaming petals on this very dark cone. So you've got that amazing contrast. And on Terra Nova's website, they recommend mixing it with Rudbeckia for a great color combination. All right, wake up, wake up. You're not dreaming. The next Echinacea on the list is Glowing Dream. This is another great offering by Terra Nova Nurseries. It's shorter, it only gets to about 16 or 18 inches. It's very floriferous. And as the flowers mature, they reflect like a traditional cone flower. But there are tons of flowers on glowing dream. When people talk about glowing dream echinacea, when it's at its peak, it has the most astonishing floral coral color. And I'll be talking about tangerine dream later on when we get to the tea's. But both of them hold their color, their bloom color, better than others. And they have wide overlapping petals and a pleasant honey scent. I've seen pictures of glowing dream at the Chicago Botanic Garden. And on Terra Nova's website, here's what they say about the flowers of glowing dream. They say the flowers are an intense, glowing, watermelon coral. I love that description, and it's it's spot on. It's a fabulous landscape plant with great flower color habit and long bloom time. So you can grow it in zones 4 through 10, if I didn't already say that. And this guy blooms a long time, from June to September. So you can be dreaming all summer long with glowing dream echinacea. Green Envy is the next echinacea that I want to talk about. Its standout feature is the spoon-shaped green petals with dusty pink centers, what an impressive combination. This one grows in zones four through nine. This is the one that hobbyist Mark Veeder developed. And when he showed a picture of his creation to Tony Avent, Tony was like, you've got to be kidding me. This has to be photoshopped. It looked too good to be true. So you have to imagine this cone flower that starts out with this center And the center is an unusual deep green with hints of brown and lime and purple. So it's got this variegation to it. And then as the petals extend from the center, they start out with a rose pink and turn into a lime green. I kid you not. Now, people have been growing green envy since Mark introduced this back in 2008. And it's a favorite among gardeners. Green Envy is an absolute stunner. But I'm going to give you a heads up. One of the new varieties that I'm saving for the end of the show is supposedly an improvement on Green Envy. And just think of that because Green Envy is a proven performer in the garden. Green Jewel is next on my list. It's another introduction from Pete Odolph. And whenever I see Green Jewel Echinacea, I think it always exudes a subtle elegance, a beautiful sophistication, whether you're looking at the pale green or the white variety. And if you don't feel comfortable introducing bright or bold colors into your garden, Green Jewel is a variety that will go with any garden. It's softer, it's subtle and it's a proven performer in the garden. It grows about two feet tall, and the flowers are grown on stocky stems, very strong. This one does not need staking. I see that landscape designer Barbara Katz shared a picture of her green jewel growing amongst coleus fishnet stockings. That was a stunning combination. In one of the articles that I read about Green Jewel, they said it's a designer's dream. And of course, it came from a designer way back in 2005. So it's over a decade old. It's this marvelous light green color for the petals and dark green cones tinged with bronze. And another thing that's often said about it is that it is a magnet for plant geeks and floral arrangers alike. It's hardy in zones three through eight And of course, like most echinacea, it's drought tolerant. That's fantastic. All right, next up is another one from Ari Bloom. It's his Hot Papaya Cultivar. It was a breakthrough in echinacea breeding. It was the first ever double orange selection. It was introduced back in 2009. It's almost 10 years old. It has these large, fragrant, pom-pom-like flowers. And the color is perfectly described with that name Hot Papaya. This one looks like a tropical party. It has sizzling bright red flowers. It gets to about three feet tall and about two to two and a half feet wide. It is a sensation in the garden. The leaves and stems look like its parent purpurea, so the common echinacea. And you can use this one as a single specimen or in a nice big bold grouping. You have a couple of different options with hot papaya. Hot papaya is hardy in zones four through nine. It looks great next to Daylily Bold Tiger. What a great combination. And I think sometimes if the double echinacea can feel a little over the top, it might have to do with the color. Because when you see the hot papaya double echinacea, it just looks right. And I think it's got that tropical feel. So that over the top quality is perfectly appropriate for hot papaya. Well, next up is a variation of Echinacea pallida, and it's called Hula Dancer. Hula Dancer is a looker. In fact, I think she's so spectacular that even if you have to get her every single year and treat her as an annual, she is totally worth it. You have to imagine those beautiful petals, those draping petals of the palata. These are white petals draping all around the green-brown cone of the hula dancer echinacea. And it makes the petals look like a blowing hula skirt. It is something else. And bonus, the pollinators love it. So Hula Dancer is on my must-buy list. I definitely want to give that one a try. Well, Julia is another variety that was introduced by Airy Bloom. It is such a happy summer flower. It has a tangerine color, so you get that beautiful orange bloom. And it blooms for about eight weeks in early summer. So if you're looking for orange in the first part of summer, Julia would be a great option for you. Julia is not a double. It's a single. It grows about 18 inches tall. The pollinators love it. In fact, the pollinators in general prefer the single variety over the double. So keep that in mind julia is from the same breeding lines as the cleopatra echinacea that we talked about earlier it's very similar in habit and as the flowers mature they lighten a little bit to a golden orange so they start out super tangerine and then they lighten up just a little bit it's a very cheerful brightly colored flower this one is very very pretty a great orange flower option for you to consider Well, breeder Kim Hawk's creation, Kim's knee-high echinacea, is next on the list. And apparently we know about how tall Kim's knee is, because at around 30 to 40 inches in height, Kim's knee-high echinaceas are actually quite big plants. Kim's knee-high has lots of small flowers. It's been around a long time, since 1999, And yet, Kim's knee-high still holds its own, even among the newer selections. Kim's knee-high is hardy in zones 3 through 9. Another selection from Terra Nova Nurseries is their Echinacea Kismet series, and specifically their orange variety. So their Kismet Intense Orange is very large, a very intense orange, and very bushy plants. The blooms just keep coming from early summer until frost. The pictures of this intense orange are amazing. This is a hot orange. And when I look at this orange, I think of that orange color crayon in the color crayon box. You know, the one where if you had to outline something or you were going to color a super hot sun, that's the one you'd pick? Well, that's the orange of the Kismet Orange Echinacea. Terra Nova Nurseries recently shared a picture of them on their website, and they're getting fantastic reviews. People are super happy with the Kismet Orange. All right, here's another double. This one's called Lemon Drop. It's a very, very pleasant yellow, and it just blooms its little heart out. So it's not super tall. It's hardy in zones four through nine. It's about 15 to 18 inches tall, and it's part of that Conefection series. So it's a fully double cone flower. And it's perfect if you want to add it to your garden to brighten up deep blues or purples in your beds. This one is very eye-catching. Someone that was growing Lemon Drop in their Ohio garden said that it just continues to bloom and bloom and bloom. And then another person growing it back in June shared a picture of it, and they said they loved the compact habit, that it was well-branching, And that it was just an overall strong double yellow flower. So if you love the pale yellows, lemon drop will be a great addition to your garden. Very sweet. Well, next on the list is Magnus superior echinacea. Magnus was awarded the 1998 Perennial Plant of the Year from the Perennial Plant Association. And Magnus superior can reach a length of 100 centimeters. The color is an intensive carmine red. The flower habit has a very wide head with horizontal petals. And then the cone is a large red orange. And the Giletto Perennial Seed Company that propagates this was sharing an image of their trial gardens that were filled with nothing but Magnus Superior, and it was such an awesome sight. So Magnus has been around for a very long time, and I think it's nice to include some of these older varieties into our gardens when we're trying the newer cultivars. Okay, next up is a 2004 coneflower that was created by Jim Alt, Dr. Jim Alt of the Chicago Botanic Garden. This one is called Mango Meadowbrite, and I love the mango color. And what's lovely about the mango version is that it has a honeysuckle scent. It's hardy in zones four through nine. The color is kind of an orange mustard. It's very happy and the cone is kind of a green mustard color. It's a very pleasant combination. And of course, at 13 years old, it's another proven new cultivar. Echinacea Maui Sunshine is another favorite of mine. In this instance, you have a huge cone surrounded by petals. And the petals are this electric yellow color. Now, they do mellow a bit as they age, but it's the cone of Maui sunshine that stands out. Imagine a Hawaiian sunrise with a great big sun. That's what I think of when I see Maui sunshine. Maui sunshine is part of that Prairie Pillars collection. Other flowers in the collection include hot lava and tiki torch. We'll be talking about tiki torch toward the end. But Maui sunshine starts blooming mid-summer and goes all the way through early fall. It's hardy in zones three through eight. Now, another addition to the Prairie Stars collection is called Now Cheesier. And it was an improvement on the mac and cheese echinacea that came out to accompany the tomato soup hybrid that I'll be talking about at the end of the show here. So, Now Cheesier. Is a 2010 introduction from Terra Nova Nurseries in Oregon, and this one grows to about two to two and a half feet tall. And if you think about the color of mac and cheese, that's what this coneflower looks like. It has these Big, bright, golden orange flowers that start off as a flat flower first, and then they develop into these reflexed petals as it matures. And the petals also turn more yellow or orangey as they age. And this one also starts to bloom in early summer and then goes through autumn. Now Cheesier looks fantastic with blue or purple flowers. It's got a nice saucy look to it. I mentioned when I was speaking about the breeders, of the echinacea cultivars that Dr. Jim Alt's Orange Meadow Bright, otherwise known as Arts Pride, was on the list. This echinacea grows to 30 inches tall and you get these electric red-orange blossoms. It's been around for a very long time. It's a proven performer. You can grow it from seeds. And it's a great color to help you anticipate the beginning of autumn in your garden. So orange meadow bright, still worthy of any echinacea must-buy list. Well, we couldn't do a bigger 180 here. We're going from orange meadow bright to pink bonbon. Bon. And pink bonbon bon could easily be In the movie, Horton Hears a Who, this one almost looks like a zinnia. You have this gorgeous pink double bloom. There are no ray petals on this one. So you just have that big poof, that big pom-pom. And it's this gorgeous pinky Tuscadera pink. This one was introduced in 2015, and the bloom time on it is very impressive. It goes from June through September. Now, along the same lines is Pink Poodle. Pink Poodle has these huge fluffy flowers that resemble zinnias, and it's hardy in zones four through nine. It's part of the Terra Nova breeding program. It was introduced back in 2008. It blooms on top of three-foot tall stems, so it's a stunner in the garden. It's really quite tall. Anyway, it's got these huge, fully double flowers In a gorgeous pink, a little more vibrant pink than Pink Bon Bon, the one we just talked about. Again, it looks like a zinnia or a chrysanthemum. And like most doubles, it's not a great pollinator, but it's very unusual. It's gorgeous. That's Pink Poodle. Now, here's another seed-grown variety of Echinacea, and it's Pow Wow Wild Berry from Pan American Seed. It's the 2010 All-American Selections Flower Award winner. It has compact size with good branching, and it's a very vivid, deep rose-purple flower, and they retain their color very well. So people report growing Pow Wow Wildberry in their garden for five-plus years. It comes back reliably through varying winter conditions, and it's an easy plant For low-maintenance perennial gardens. It's an average height, a mid-height of 20 to 24 inches. It blooms continually. You do not need to deadhead it or groom it. The pollinators love it. And another notable quality for this one, and another reason why it was chosen as a winner, is that there's no waiting with this one. It flowers right out of the gate in its first year. Alright, here's another one of my absolute favorites, and it's the Raspberry Truffle Echinacea. This is another wonderful plant from Airy Bloom, the man who brought us hot papaya and pink double delight. And now what's fantastic about this particular echinacea, is that as the flower develops, they go through this entire range of changes. They start out first as flat flowers with a very nice coral pink and gorgeous chocolatey center. And then as they mature, They turn into more of a pom-pom shape, and they end up with a bright pink base to the flowers, and then eventually they wind up with this lovely raspberry pink center. And that's, of course, why it's called Raspberry Truffle. Raspberry Truffle grows to about two to two and a half feet tall. It's perfect for putting at the front of beds and borders. And you're going to want to put this anywhere where you're going to enjoy these gorgeous flowers. Beautiful blooms. This one is a fantastic hybrid. It's on my must-buy list for next year. Razzmatazz made the list here. And, of course, Rasmataz is the one that was discovered by Jan van Winsen. And then, of course, it was taken over by Marco van Nort. And he was able to successfully market it. And an interesting little origin story is that Rasmataz was a chance seedling, a chance double that had developed from a magnus seedling. So you have this beautiful double bloom and then these long ray florets that circle around it. And I think this one is nice to have in the garden just because it kicked off this entire craze for double flowered cone flowers. So it's really nice sometimes if you're featuring other doubles in your garden to have the original. And then when you're giving a tour of your garden, you can say, Rasmataz was the very first one. This is the very first double flowered cone flower. And now look at the different varieties. Look at all of the color options and the forms that have come along since razzmatazz. Just amazing. Well, the next two are secrets. One is Secret Affair and the other is Secret Joy. Gardeners love the Secret series. Secret Affair is a hot pink. It's a summer flower, baby. It's a double. And then Secret Joy is the pale yellow sister of the hot pink secret affair. And what's fun about these is that even the rays, the, the petals, get into the game because they're split at the tip. So you almost have this very frilly appearance to them. And people on social media were saying that these sell out quick when they're at their nurseries. So if you see one, buy it fast. All right, we're in the home stretch here. Solar flare is next on the list. Solar flare was, of course, an introduction by Richard Saul and his brother over at It's All Plants. Now, if you put solar flare in your garden, you're going to have pollinators coming from all over to your garden. This one is very brightly colored. It's very fragrant. It's gorgeous. If you just put it smack dab in the middle of a garden bed, it's quite stunning. This one is very colorful. And what I love about it is it's this hot pink hot pink petals, red center, and all around that cone is a ring of yellow, and thus the term solar flare. This is one of my favorites. I really love this cone flower. It's got those dark stems. This one should be on your must-buy list. Well, next up, we have four in the Sombrero series. The first is Sombrero Adobe Orange. This one has a very bright pumpkin orange flower on short, stocky plants. They're just loaded with flower buds. And this one really looks like a harvest orange to me. So that's Sombrero Adobe Orange. Then there's Sombrero Baja Burgundy. And this one has that tropical feel. It's got a very deep, rich burgundy color. Then there's Sombrero Flamenco Orange. This one is a very, flamboyant orange color it's probably the most flamboyantly orange echinacea that I've seen again it's a very stocky plant it's a great selection it's very hardy it performs very well that color stays true now these are not tall but the color is just tremendous they don't revert back it is such a performer people love the sombrero series The other one I was going to mention is the Salsa Red. The Salsa Red is so happy. This one has a bold, fiery red color. Again, with that Sombrero series, you have this compact plant with this very large single color, and the color is so vibrant. Anyway, love that series, the Sombrero series. Okay, we've made it to the teas. Starting us out is Echinacea tangerine dream. It's a 2009 Terra Nova introduction. And the flowers on this are big. They're four-inch flowers. They're honey-scented. They hold their color for a long time. The other one in this series that I talked about earlier was that glowing dream that was the watermelon Coral. There's also Amazing Dream, which is a deeper pink, and then Daydream, which is a yellow. Anyway, great pictures of Tangerine Dream, by the way, on social media. People really like this one. It's a happy orange. Beautiful for summer, hardy in zones four through eight. All right, next up is Tiki Torch. Tiki Torch is a pure construction sign orange petaled echinacea. And it's got this deeper orange right in the center. Tiki Torch has these whimsical little petalettes that curl at random around the spiked center. And then the center also has this crown of gold. It almost looks like a little halo sitting right on top of that cone. That's very unique. All right, we've made it to tomato soup. Tomato soup is known for its red petals. It's a 2009 introduction from Terra Nova, and it's stretching us and our preconceived notions about what a coneflower should look like. Now, even though tomato soup was introduced in 2009, it's still one of the most popular sellers on the echinacea market today. This one's hardy in zones 4 through 9, and it's a favorite for red lovers. So it starts out this true tomato red, and then it fades to a lovely burnt orange as it matures. It's very hearty, and it's from that Big Sky series. Tomato soup is fantastic, and another great one to plant if you have kids. So to be able to say, hey, here's the tomato soup one, and then here's the more cheesier one, those would be great fun cultivars to incorporate into your garden, especially if you have little ones. Okay, last one on my list, and then we'll go through those remaining three, the new ones that I've read about as I've been researching this show. This last one is called white swan. This particular seed strain is considered the best of the non-clonal whites. It's hardy in zones three through nine. Listener Ann Barklow shared a photo of hers that are growing in her garden, and she also said that they get a ton of bees. White swan is a naturally occurring cultivar. It's somewhat shorter, and not quite as vigorous, but it has really beautiful coloring with those white petals and the brownish colored centers for the cones. And it also has a honey fragrance. And another white coneflower that you could try is Fragrant Angel. That one has horizontal ray florets and a big orange cone. White Swan is hardy in zones three through eight. Okay, now for the final three. First up is Green Twister. This is a new seed-raised coneflower that combines toughness, reliability, and value with a tempting color combination. And it's supposedly an improvement on the 2007 Green Envy that we talked about earlier. Now, Green Twister has been developed in Germany by perennial seed specialist, Giletto Perennial Seeds. And interestingly, green twister is completely unrelated to green envy. And here's what George Ubelhart, the general manager at Giletto, said about green twister. He said, we first noticed these greenish forms back in 1997 through 1999 when we had a large seed crop covering the demand of magnus when it was at the peak of popularity. He was afraid it was a virus. So all of those plants were burned. Fast forward to some years later, he sees echinacea green envy, and he was very surprised. In fact, he felt kind of stupid that he hadn't looked into those green forms that he had experienced when he was growing his magnus fields back in the late 90s. So then later, when green forms started appearing again in their breeding program, Giletto knew it was not caused by a virus, and they started to develop green twister. So green twister is very robust. It has very strong and thick stems. And it's a pure purpurea. It's not a hybrid. So there's none of the difficulty with overwintering that comes with some of the hybrids. And you can get Green Twister direct from Giletto Perennial Seeds. So if you like Green Envy, try Green Twister. Now, second on my list is a very pretty variety that I saw posted online, and it's a new introduction from a Belgium grower named Jan Spruit, And the translation for this variety is Angel. So I don't know how we can get it. I'm looking into it, but it's a new variety. It was just posted this month, and it's called JS. Angel. I'm assuming the JS stands for the grower for the plantsmen involved. This one kind of looks like a palada, except that the petals are much bigger. They're like the petals of a purpurea, but they droop like a palada. And the coloring is amazing. So it reminds me of Green Envy or Green Twister, except instead of being pink and green, they're pink and white. And the cones look like little buttons. I love this echinacea. I hope I can track it down. All right, drum roll, please. We've reached the end of our very long list. And this one is the Rainbow Marcella echinacea. And this one is born to flower. It loves to just flower its little heart out. And Rainbow Marcella is another color breakthrough. These flowers, if you can believe it or not, start out orange- and gradually change to purple. The grower said that the flowers produce a dramatic effect. They're like swirls of different sorbet colors. And there's pictures of this echinacea online, and people are writing things like a rainbow of colors all summer long. This one was also developed by Ari Bloom, and it's the latest addition to the ever-popular butterfly series, It has such a pleasant color. It is like sorbet. It's just beautiful. And then the nurseries are posting on social media all through the summer. And even into the spring, they're saying things like, Flower Crush at our garden center today because of Echinacea Rainbow Marcella. Plants Nouveau wrote, and this was back in March of last year, It's the plant people ask for pictures of most. Rainbow Marcella wins. Green Lake Nursery wrote in May of this year, Rainbow Marcella is a colorful masterpiece. This one's a showstopper. If you can get your hands on it, you better buy it. It's the cool kid on the block. Phew, we made it. Well, that's it for our show today featuring the Echinacea evolution. I hope you enjoyed learning all about it. I think we covered everything from the history and species of Echinacea to the growing, propagating, and of course, the evolution of Echinacea with the exciting new selections being created by breeders right at this very moment in history. The story of Echinacea breeding is just beginning. I hope today's episode made you feel more excited to try some of the new varieties of Echinacea in your own garden as well. Join the fun of gardening at this point in the story of the Echinacea evolution by planting a mix of new cultivars and enjoy every beautiful bloom. And then don't forget to reach out and let me know which varieties you've decided to try. I'd love to hear how they worked out in your garden and how they delight you. Well, I'm so thankful to my team at Podfly Productions. I want to thank Eric Begay, my editor, Ayn Kadina, my copywriter, and my project manager, David Gregerson. Just a reminder, I'll have all of the information that I shared on the show today under the Still Growing podcast page on my website over at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A dot com. I'd also like to thank the members of my listener advisory board, These are a group of six listeners from the listener community over on Facebook, and they are Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine, Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport, she's the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson, and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann was featured back in episode 553. She's the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and I certainly hope you're growing more native plants in your garden this summer. And if you're interested in participating in one of the masterminds I'll be leading this September, head on over to my website and click on the menu item that says work with me. I'd love to have you in one of my masterminds this fall. Well, that's it for the show today. I hope you spend some time this week Googling Echinacea, going to your garden center and seeing the varieties that they have available or even ordering some plants online. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a sixfootmama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.